Hello and welcome back everyone to homeschool.com's Winter Homeschooling Teleconference 2007. My name is Rebecca Kokenderfer and I am your host for this event. Uh, this next hour we're going to be speaking with Joanne Calderwood on how to help your child or children ace the SAT and other exams. And um, boy, I am very excited about this topic. I've really been looking forward to this interview because my oldest child is a sophomore and we have really moved into the test-taking phase. <laughs> and he has the high school exit exam in February, his first AP exam in May, and I've been advised that I should have him take the SAT in March. So, Joanne, I'm going to be taking pages of notes while we talk. <laughs> so, Joanne Calderwood is also known as the self-teaching lady. We interviewed Joanne last summer in the 2006 Summer Homeschooling Teleconference, so you're going to want to listen to that interview as well. It's available on homeschool.com. It's just a, a dollar. Uh, you can download and make your own CD or download it to an MP3 player. But really, uh, great information on the self-teaching method. We also have a self-teaching e-kit on homeschool.com that Joanne put together for us. So if you get excited about this method, you'll find more information there. Uh, she has been homeschooling for 17 years. She and her husband, Tim, have been married for 23 years, and they have eight children, ranging in age from five years old to 17 years old. Joanne's son, Nick, took the ACT after his freshman year and scored a 35 out of 36. His best score on the old SAT was 1520 out of 1600. This October, he had to take the SAT one last time, as he had not taken an exam with the new writing section. He scored two perfect 800s in math, and verbal sections, and then scored a 770 on the written portion. The ACT equivalent of his 2370 out of 2400 SAT score is a perfect 36. He's now ranked in the top 100% of all high school seniors in the nation. Even before entering college, Nick took an official practice LSAT exam from the book put out by the LSAT folks, thinking that he might want to go to law school one day, and he scored 176 out of a possible 180. And now, folks, remember, this is the test that they take after law school. Uh, Joanne's daughter, Lauren, uh, just took the PSAT, and she scored a 223. So she will most likely be a semifinalist and then apply for a finalist spot next year. Her SAT last year was 2050, 2050, and she is being highly recruited now by schools across the nation. Now, uh, as an eighth grader, Joanne's son, Taylor, remember, this is an eighth grade child, uh, took the SAT and scored 1120 out of 1600. So I, I think you'll agree with me that Joanne Calderwood, she, she promises me that her children are not just natural geniuses and that she's really imparting to them a system that is making them successful on these standardized tests. So, Joanne, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm really grateful to having you here, and I know we're going to get a lot of good information. Well, thank you, Rebecca. Do we have any time left now? <laughs> I know. <laughs> After all that. But, you know, but, those scores really speak for themselves. You know, you're not just, you know, saying that you're a testing expert. You're a homeschooling mom, and you're getting great test scores for your children. And as a result of that, colleges are coming to your children and saying, please come to us, and we'll give you scholarships. I mean, that's what we all want, I think. Right, and humbly speaking, I, you know, I really can't take the credit for my children's accomplishments at this point. Um, we uh, were introduced to a, a self-learning methodology oh, years ago, and um, that's what I credit, uh, well, 
first of all, um, I just I really pat my children on the back for the work that they've done as they've become more and more motivated and realize that um, the work they're doing, they're doing it for themselves. They're not doing it for me. So it is a whole different philosophy, and uh, we'll just briefly touch on that as we talk about um, how to um, help your children ace, if you will, the ACT and the SAT, although there's the PSAT out there. Before we really get into it, I would just like to say that um, students who score highly on any of these college board exams or the ACT, um, they are more than just good test takers. Uh, they're, they are good students. They're hard workers. They're focused self-motivated, and also very passionate about something, guitar or what have you, they're passionate about something. So um, anyway, we'll get, uh, feel free to ask away, but I just wanted to preface that uh, by saying most um, perfect perfect score students or high-scoring students have a life, is what I'm getting at. Well, thank you. You know, Joanne, I hear that that beep, and I wonder if it might be your call waiting. So uh, if, you, if you think you're going to get a lot of calls this next hour, I can show you how to go in and disable that call waiting for the next hour if you'd like. That'd be great. I don't think we will. It's, it's very rare, but um, I can. I can do that. Okay. What you would have to do is you would have to hang up and then dial star 70, and that'll uh, change. It'll give you a dial tone. It gives you beep, 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 and then another dial tone, and then you would dial in the way you did the first time. So okay. uh, I can talk to our um, listeners for a minute if you'd like. Uh, if you'd like to dial back in, but your call on that. Okay. I don't think I'll get any more beeps. Okay. Uh, that, like I said, that's extremely rare. And then There's probably about... somebody calling to say, now, when are you going to be talking? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And then, you know, talking about the, the test, I've never been a big fan of tests. Uh-uh. Uh, you know, it's just not really in my nature. I've really been focused on the learning that they've been doing. But, you know, my son, I, I want him to go to college because my mm-hmm. husband and I went to college. We had such a great experience. You know, maybe he may decide that he doesn't want to go, but I want him to at least have that option. And uh, and now the name of the game seems to be test. Now, it used to be uh. that just being a homeschooler sets you apart, and an admissions officer would look, you know, give you special attention on your application. Right. But nowadays, you know, there are more homeschoolers in the country than there are Catholic school students, and so wow. we're, we're not that rare anymore. So we kind of have to prove our the quality of our learning and you know, scoring well on these tests is one way of comforting the admissions officers that our children really did get a rich education, that they really are prepared for college. Right, right. Well, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, you know, we have so many questions to cover. But I, so I, I, you know, with that kind of in mind, I would like to ask you, you know, why do you think we should consider having our children take these college board exams in the first place? Well, um, and getting what to, back to what you just said, I'm not a huge test fan either. Uh, in fact, the only reason Nick took the um, ACT after his freshman year was because he wanted the challenge. He just thought it would be fun. And um, that just goes along with our, it, it's just an outgrowth of our um, philosophy. You know, he enjoys the challenge. He will go out there and, and snatch it. Um, but the test, the college board exams, which are the, include the PSAT and the SAT, they're what's known as the college boards, um, they go uh, hand-in-hand with the ACT, um, which is not sponsored by the college board. It's a separate uh, test altogether. But all of the these tests are... The exam now, too. I'm sorry? And the AP exam, that's a college board exam, too, isn't it? It is a college board exam. I'm not a, a huge fan of the AP, but... Um, 
if we had time, I can uh, go into that a little bit. But um, these tests are designed to even the playing field, so to speak, for students. Um, you know, maybe a student uh, goes to a private school, private school, homeschool, what have you, uh, and it really doesn't matter what school they go to. It's just uh, the colleges want to know what kind of student they're dealing with, and they can tell that by looking at the scores on these exams. Um, and it gives everybody a chance to compete evenly. So um, basically, if we start with the PSAT, which is the preliminary SAT, this is a junior-level test. Uh, high school juniors take this test, and it's important for parents to understand it's only offered in October. So if you miss October's PSAT, uh, for your child in their junior year, they've lost the opportunity. Now, the, the PSAT contains um, questions that are taken from actual SATs. However, there's more to it. It also um, qualifies you for the National Merit Scholarship Program. And um, students who score uh, relatively highly on uh, the PSAT uh, come the following September uh, the September of their senior year, they'll find out if they are a semifinalist, and then they write some essays and that sort of thing and apply. And then the following February of their senior year, they'll find out if they're a finalist. What this means is um, prestige, really, uh, number one, to be a national merit finalist follows you throughout your life. It's something you can put on your uh, resume when you're applying for a job. It, it tells what kind of caliber of a person you are, whereas if you're quoting your <laughs> SAT scores on your resume, you know, your potential um, employer is going to think, hmm, that's a little odd. But um, also a national merit uh, scholar will get scholarships at the school of his or her choice, and that varies. Um, the amount of money varies according to um, the individual school. Nick will find out next month if he is a finalist, he is a semifinalist. Um, and we just found out, as an aside, he's not in the top 1% of high school seniors. He's in the top one-tenth of a percent of high school students. Um, and we just found out that this week they also got a letter from the Department of Education. That's a whole other story. But um, it all stems from taking um, the PSAT. Now, your student does not have to take the PSAT. It, you know, if um, you don't want him or her to do that, that's fine. It's great practice for the SAT. So the big fish, one of the two big fish is the SAT, um, which we're all aware of. Um, and don't ask me what it stands for because <laughs> I didn't look that up. I apologize. But both the SAT and the ACT are widely accepted um, by Ivy League schools, uh, you name it, on down to your regional schools. Um, now, with the SAT, uh, it, usually students take it twice, uh, the spring of their junior year, fall of their senior year. It tests critical reading, writing, and math. Now, uh, it used to be just test critical reading um, and uh, math, and now we've added, of course, the writing. Um, now, the SAT, and this is important for students to know, um, the SAT has a correction for guessing. They will take a quarter of a point off for each incorrect answer, and that's to ward off um, random guessing. So it's best, um, and when we talk about test-taking strategies, I might have time to 
mention this again, but um, with the SAT, one of the things that makes it different from the ACT is that you want to take a very educated guess. Um, it's almost better to not answer the question than to answer it and get it wrong because they will take a quarter of a point off of your score. So, um, And then the third exam, which is not, as I said, a college board exam, is called the ACT. Um, and it is scored based on the number of correct answers, and they make no correction for guessing. And they say, always at least guess. And I think that is so interesting between the two. Um, and um, in one of the preparation guides I have for the ACD, they say you get no points for suffering. So don't suffer through the test. Take control of it and um, uh, at least guess at it. So I thought that was cute. No points for suffering. So don't put yourself through that. So now the ACT is probably one of the toughest exams um, uh, compared to the, the SAT1 is difficult, but the ACT has um, different sections. It's got English, math, reading, science, and also an optional writing. Now, they, they call it optional because it depends what college you are applying to or university. But in general, I advise students just go ahead and take the writing because most students, when they take it, don't know exactly where uh, they're to where they're going to apply. So it's always a good chance, uh, a good idea to go ahead and do that. Um, now, the highest score you can get on the SAT now is a 2,400, and that would be three perfect 800 scores. The highest score that you can achieve on the ACT is a 36, and that is a composite score, meaning they take um, your scores in each of the five different sections and uh, come out with um, the composite. And anything close to a 22 or 23 um, will get you into um, your state schools and that sort of thing. So a 22 or 23 um, is um, an average score. But most homeschool children, excuse me, young adults at that age, uh, score way above that. So that is the basic uh, rundown on the actual tests uh, themselves. Are you okay, Joanne? Yes, I am. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. What else would you like me to know? Uh, you know, actually, I like this. Can we keep running through the exams? We talked about the PSAT, sure. the SAT, the ACT. Now, you mentioned that you're not a big fan of the AP. We had a gentleman, Mark Crothers, that we interviewed on Monday, who is a big fan of the AP <laughs> exam. And then we interviewed Dr. Cooney Beasley the next day, who said that he does not care for the AP, the advanced placement exam. He prefers the CLEP. So uh, would you feel comfortable talking a little bit about the AP and the CLEP and what your experience or even what your opinions are about those? Well, it, I, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, and it might just be a taste kind of thing, but um, as we talk about um, high-scoring students uh, on the ACT, one of the things that um, a study uh, unearthed about perfect score students, if you will, students have scored perfectly on these exams, is that they have good relationships with their families, friends, they have a good network. And um, with my oldest son, Nicholas, he had the opportunity to graduate a year early and um, go off to school, and he really didn't jump at that, and I was a little surprised. As the oldest of eight, you'd think he'd be ready to bolt for the door <laughs> and get out there and get on with his life. But he wanted to graduate with his friends, 
with his peers, and he wanted to enjoy his last year of schooling. So the same thing holds true um, for, for colleges, and I didn't get a chance with the CLEP exams, I didn't get a chance to ask this question, and maybe this was addressed, and maybe you can answer this for me. Um, but I had heard from our admissions counselor that you have to be careful on your CLEP exams how many your student takes, because if they enter college, let's say they enter as a sophomore, they could lose out on some scholarships because they're not entering as a freshman and they're not getting the four-year scholarships. That's what Cooney, Dr. Beasley said as well. He, he did? You can have okay. the kids take them. You don't have to include them. But he says you have to be careful that you're not disqualifying yourself from freshman scholarships. Okay, then that and is then he correct. Said too, when you get into the university, then you can claim your CLEPS. So say, oh, I, don't, I CLEPS out of biology. I CLEPS out of, you know, of certain classes. So then you don't have to <laughs> take those again. So just be quiet about it until you're, yeah. you're in there. In other words, take, take them but then decide if you need to use them or not. That's good. That's good. Well, and, and you know, taking them is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, I think with um, – I'm not a big one to push my kids out of the nest. When they're ready to go, if they want to go, that's great. If Nick had wanted to graduate early, we would have supported him in that. Um, you know, and, and it's, I understand – you know, if you want to take AP exams so you don't have to take freshman, you know, history or what have you. Um, I think the idea with the AP is that if you um, pass three AP exams, that makes you an AP scholar. You know, right. You're in the and top 3% of the country, you know, hoping that that makes you more desirable to colleges and uh, more qualified for scholarships. Right. And to me that just seems irrelevant if, you ha- if you're raising self-educating children who just naturally score well on tests. So there's a niche for that. Um, I don't know that it's a niche that we would look at simply because my oldest two, and, you know, Lauren being a junior now, I mean, she's, thank the Lord, we're not going to have to worry about putting any money out for at least my first two out of eight. Hopefully it'll it'll trickle on down through all of them. But um, Nick right now is looking at, you know, full scholarships, to whichever school he uh, decides to go to, which he hasn't made that decision. But, you know, if you're scoring well, I guess my point um, with um, the gentleman on Monday, the high school teacher who was talking about the AP exams, is if you're scoring well on the SATs and the ACTs, it really doesn't matter. Um, And keep in mind, the college boards, you know, they're making money. They're making a lot of money off of these AP exams. Uh And you figure... They want you to take their SATs and the ACTs because you really have to have those. You also have to have a good high school transcript that shows that you took quality classes and not necessarily honors classes, what have you. And and taking the, you know, like was said in that particular interview, it's very true that often admissions counselors don't know what kind of English lit your student has had for four years in high school. So by taking an AP exam, they know, hey, the student's on track. They, you know, but if they've scored, you know, very highly on their uh, college boards and the ACT, they're not going to question it anyway. So I think for some students who do score highly, they don't really need to think about APs because it's it's just not necessary. They don't need that feather in their cap. Okay. Well, that's good to know. In in my situation, my son has this great tutor that he's working with online, so he's getting this fabulous 
English lit class, you know, really good quality. So mm-hmm. even if he never took or passed the exam, I know he's getting a really good class. Right, exactly. exactly. Oh, thank you, Joanne. I, I really appreciate hearing your decision. I'm sure mm-hmm. everyone, your, your opinion even, because like all of us, you know, homeschooling through high school is a, a new game. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have to become exactly. kind of experts at that game quickly because we don't want to miss deadlines or, you know, find right. out that our children are 18 and, oh, I wish I'd known that four years ago. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, Rebecca, I honestly think that there are a lot of homeschool parents out there, home educating. I'm trying to train myself to say home educating because as a teacher myself, being having a background in education, um, I did that. I tried to bring the school into my classroom, and it nearly drove me to putting everybody back in school uh-huh. because I couldn't do it with so many uh, young ones. But um, it's important to realize that, um, that oh, gosh, I lost my train of thought. I knew that was going to happen at least once. There's my once for this call. <laughs> um, got eight children. About, oh, okay. We understand. <laughs> um we're talking about the necessity. Oh, I think there are a lot of parents out there who are way too intense, way too intense over home education. And I hope in this call to be able to allay some of the fears, some of the, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I've got a ninth grader next year or whatever. You know, we can be very laid back about this. We just need a few key pieces of information. And, you know, you have to pay attention to the calendar, look things up on the Internet. And really the test taking is no big deal. It really is no big deal, and that's how my kids have approached it as no big deal. So that would um, be a comfort because I know for me, I used to be very relaxed in homeschooling the, the, my younger children. Right. But, uh, now I've been feeling a little scared. And you really don't need to. Um, and once your son goes out there, you're going to be amazed at how well he does, uh, whichever exam he chooses first. Um, I think parents need to child. They're always our guinea pigs, aren't they? The third they are. <laughs> so relaxed with that first child. Boy, they get put through the ringer. They sure do. <laughs> and, um, and you know, uh, one of the things that we may want to talk about is, is when is a good time to have your children start testing? Do you want to cover that at this point? Yes, please. In other words, um, I, have, I have a lot of other questions I want to ask you, too, and then I would like to kind of end it with a timeline because I think that that will give – uh, everyone, certainly myself, some comfort. Okay, sure. Because you know, it'll give us the big picture. So you're kind of giving us the details, and then we'll have the mm-hmm. big picture, and then we'll say, oh, okay, I've got a plan. You know, they're right. going to take this their sophomore year, they're going to do this their junior, they're going to do this a senior, and I think that that will really be helpful. Absolutely. So, so is it? Um, should we jump into that timetable first, or would you like to talk about, you know, how your son Nick was able to attain an almost perfect score on the ACT, and that was after his freshman year of high school. Right. Because I mean, doesn't the ACT test students in chemistry, physics, biology? You just said that it did. And Nick right. hasn't even taken those yet. Well, and the reason for this, I believe firmly, is because the SAT and the ACT both, they test, they don't test your knowledge or your memory of, you know, Charlemagne reigned in what year. You know, they're not asking those kinds of tests. The answers are right there in front of you. They test your reasoning and analytical skills. And like I said, the answers are all right there. You just have to determine which is the right one. And so Nick always has approached it as a challenge. And I encourage parents to encourage their children to look at it as a challenge. It's like a game because the answers are right there. They're looking at you. You just have to figure out which one is the right answer in each block or in each set. So, no, he had not had biology, chemistry, and physics, and there were graphs, charts, um, things that he had to analyze. 
but that's what it was, um, was strictly analytical reasoning. And, um, you know, at that point, he had had up to Algebra 1. Uh, he hadn't gone any higher math than that. But, um, as I'll talk about, uh, it's very important for us to instill three things into our children, and those are the old three R's, reading, writing, and uh, and math. And none of those start with R except reading. <laughs> I guess <laughs> arithmetic is one of them. But um, And there again, math is the language of the sciences. So if your children have a good grasp of mathematics, which I admittedly did not, <laughs> um, if they have a good grasp of uh logic and that sort of thing, they're going to do well. They're going to do a, a good job. And something else we have to raise are children who can think on their own as opposed to, i use myself as an example, going to a public school where I wasn't taught how to learn. I was taught how to um, digest and regurgitate, if you will. That's probably a terrible example, but, um, you know, for a test and then it's, you know, out the brain, it's gone the next day. Phew, past that. Uh, on to the next thing, whereas with our children, we want them to retain, and not necessarily every tiny little nugget of what they do every day, but there are certain things that we um, that we want to focus on. And when I was talking about, I believe that parents today, as homeschooling has involved, home education has involved, excuse me, evolved, um, we put way too much emphasis on this subject, that subject, they need to be going here, going there, taking Latin, taking the, you know, I think it's just way overdone. Um, and there's a, a quote from C.S. Lewis that might be appropriate, it just popped into my mind. I'll see if I can get this right on the first try. Um, he says, I think this wise, the greatest service that we can do to education is to teach fewer subjects. And he says that no one has the time to do more than a few things well before he or she is 20. Um, and when we force a child to be a mediocrity in a dozen subjects, we destroy his standards, perhaps for life. And I think there are a lot of homeschooled or home-educated children who, and I'm not talking about elementary level, I'm talking about 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, where parents think, okay, well, we've got to fit this in this, this, this. And, of course, there are pieces that have to go in there, but I think we overdo it, and as a result, our children become, ah, you know, You know, I've I've been feeling that same way, Joanne. Like my poor son, he used to love learning, and he would go, he's a deep-sea diver, you know, one of those who loves to go deep into the subject. And Uh now I've been spreading him thin on all the subjects, and he's been so busy that he hasn't even had time to do the video game design, which he's where he's, passionate about and where he's most uh-huh. likely to shine. Exactly. And, yeah. that, you know, that, that is what's happening. And I, and I really hate to see that. I do travel uh, a good bit to and speak at conventions and conferences. And, um, you know, and my message is one of homeschooling freedom that we can, you know, moms don't have to do everything. It's about setting our children free to learn on their own. And high scores on tests or on, on the the um, college board exams and the ACT, uh, as we get further into this um, interview, I've got um, a study that is extremely fascinating. It's on um, perfect score kids and what what their makeup is all about. It is so surprising. But um, anyway, I think... 
it reminds me too that travel is one of the reasons my son wanted to stay with homeschooling and one of the reasons we chose it. But we've been so involved in this now kind of bringing school into our home that uh-huh. we've been afraid to even go off and, and travel because we didn't want him to you know, miss classes or get behind and all of that. Right. So you're, right. you're inspiring me to rethink this and have a deep talk with him. And <laughs> so I know you'll give all of us some comfort, too, once you paint this big picture for us, and that it's much easier to get into college and get scholarships mm-hmm. than we would think. It really, it really is, and it's a lot uh, better if parents are relaxed. But parents have so much to do with... Um, and I, this is just going to do the opposite. It's going to scare you. Parents have a lot to do with how well their children do on the exams. And I'm only going to only say that because uh, I just want our listeners to understand that your student is not going to be a high scorer on an SAT or ACT, if you will, if you have not instilled in them, say, in first grade or, or even younger as a toddler, to do what they're told to do the first time to do what they do with excellence. And that's one thing that my husband Tim and I have always tried to um, get into our children's heads that no matter if it's their day to do the kitchen work, whatever it is, if it's their math lesson, we expect them to do it with excellence. And we all have crummy days. We have days when things aren't Perfect, not perfection, but to the best of their ability. And that's how I define excellence, is to the best of their ability. And um, it's amazing. Young children want to please us so much. Um, that's not to say they won't try and press us and, and get us to, you know, they, they will push us and see what our limits are. For example, uh, if I'm given a handwriting page by one of my younger girls and it's sloppy, I'm going to erase it. And, well, no, I'm not because I, <laughs> I heard from a mom. I just did a, a conference on Saturday, and she said that she'll give her child the eraser. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been doing all the erasing here. Thank you for that. It's time to give them the eraser <laughs> make them erase it. But um, anyway, so the SAT and the ACT are a natural outgrowth, if you will, of how we are teaching our children today. Is that scary? I hope it's not. But, a little bit. A uh, little bit. Oh, a little bit. <laughs> because okay. like you said, I mean, we, we are ultimately responsible for our children's education, and that's a lot of responsibility. Well, it is. But, you know, when it comes to the SAT and ACT and preparing for it, it's not a matter of studying. It's not a matter of cramming. And homeschoolers really do have the advantage there. Um, and I've said it, you know, I've said before, um, Children who learn to learn on their own, they test well because they're learning to think through things on their own without fear. They get confidence that, hey, I can, I can think this through. I don't have to run out to mom and ask her about this. But um, good scores on these tests are a culmination of years of concentrated study in math, as I said, and it, I think it bears repeating, which is the language of the sciences, reading, um, it's very important for children to be good readers. Now, I should say young adults because not all children are good readers, but we need to encourage them. And one way we can encourage them in reading is to let them read what they will. 
um, you know, some boys um, I found uh, tend to be more reluctant readers. But when we go to the library and I allow my boys when I when they were younger to get out science fiction books or you know fantasy books, you know, there are some families that to them they would not do that. And you know, with all due respect, I understand. But if we allow our children to read what interests them it's going to turn them on to reading much more than giving them a reader and saying, okay, I want you to read such and such. Well, let's define some of these, Joanne. For example, mm-hmm. when you say have them good at math, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Okay. I believe that touches on another one of my core philosophies of home education, and that is every one of my children will earn an A in every subject. Now, why would that be? If you think about it for a minute, is it because I'm just going to, you know, put a star on the top of my younger girl's work and just, you know, let them go on. It would be because you don't move on until there's mastery. And um, so that's very, very important. And in a public school or a private school where there are multiple children in a classroom, that's not the case. You move on whether you've mastered it or not. And that's one of the huge fallacies um, in the school systems is children get left behind because they're not ready. Either they weren't ready for the subject matter when it was presented or they need some more practice, what have you. So in a home learning environment, let's say my um, third grader is having trouble mastering her times tables, we just keep practicing until they're mastered and then we move on. Or maybe in in my third grader's case, she learned the times tables in two weeks flat. And you ask her seven times eight, nine times, not only she knows them front and back, in and out. She's just, um, you know, it's a challenge for her. And um, How how high do you think the children need to go in math? You'd mentioned that your son had mastered algebra. Mm -hmm. How high do you, you think they need to go all the way through calculus? Not necessarily, no. I feel that students um, should go through algebra, too. Um, and that does include geometry, geometry, algebra two, um, calculus. I feel is optional depending on the aptitude of the student. Um, I personally, you know, <laughs> in fact, as you know, my book is called "I'm the Mom. I Don't Have to Know Calculus." Well, there's a reason for that. I don't know calculus, and the reason I don't is, you know, I wasn't taught to like mathematics. It was I was one of the youngest. I was the youngest always in my class, always playing catch up. And I, which was not such a bad thing, except that, um, you know, it seemed like I had to work harder than everybody else, you know, to catch on. But uh, as far as getting back to your question, um, it is very important for students to uh, be on track, uh, even though, you know, I'm, I'm the first one to say, uh, in fact, one of my friends, I ran into her on Friday, and I said, how you doing? She goes, oh... Not so well. I feel like we're behind already. It's January. And I said, oh, you know what? There is no such thing as behind. You know, my friends are so funny. They just give me that wry little smile like, okay, Joanne. (laughs) But um, we just, tomorrow, Friday, will be our halfway point for this particular school year, if you will. Normally, we are halfway through by the end of December. This year, it's the end of January, and that's fine. But um, uh, let's see. How did I get to that point? We're talking about um, defining. Okay. So, and, you know, my next yeah. question for you was um, reading. Um, how would you define, um, you know, reading? In other words, highly skilled in reading mm-hmm. means what to you? Okay. So for, for math, then it means going through algebra two. So then for reading, what does that mean then, to be a good reader? To be a, 
You know, children, again, and, and because it, our topic is um, testing, that's the only reason why I refer back to that, to kind of keep myself in the right <laughs> framework here. Um, reading. Children who test well are avid readers. Um, if they have free time, their choice is to pick up a good book. For example, today um, I was out doing something. I came in and I wanted to, to assign some laundry tasks. And I went into my oldest daughter's room and there she is lying on her bed reading. And I said, sweetie, is that schoolwork or is that extra work? And she goes, well, it's reading. <laughs> and I, I noticed it was a book from the library. So, you know, her first love is reading and she's passionate about writing as well. Um, she's an avid reader. Um, and also, it is it is important for children to enjoy reading. So that's what when I was saying about um, for parents, it's important for them, for parents to kind of back off and allow children to kind of catch on to reading, younger children, and give them some space and not make them hate reading before they even have a chance to enjoy it. So most, I have a, a child who's going to turn five tomorrow, and she does not, you know, I she knows phonics, she can type words on the computer, but if I ask her to read Hop on Pop with me, she'll say, you read it, Mama. She loves to be read, too. And, you know, if she had been my first child, I'd be totally stressed out. But she's child number eight. I know she loves to be read, too. She's always read, too. And she, they'll come to, she'll get a point to where she wants to read for herself. Now, I did order a teacher child to read in 100 Easy Lessons. She is going to learn to read you know, <laughs> herself. Um, we use a lot of audio books in our house, uh-huh. and I'm a big audio book fan myself. Me too. I'm in the car all the time driving the kids' places, and I can usually do about three books a week, you know, reading before I go to bed at night and reading while I'm, you know, listening to a book while I'm exercising or listening to a book in the car. I just love it. My husband does that. He's got a 45-minute commute each way, and he always has a book on CD. Um, and, you know, for your auditory learners, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, but... Uh, Getting back to the test taking, um, one thing that's very important with taking tests is remembering that the speed of reading is very important. For example, we have some good friends who have super, super intelligent children, very, very high IQs. However, they have not scored well on the college boards because um, their uh, primary language is not English. Um, And so... It really handicaps them, and that's where my, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the college board exams because I don't think they're very fair in several different areas, but that's all we have to work with. Uh, so here, you know, are these kids who are, they're handicapped by the fact that they read more slowly, but they're very intelligent children. Okay, so, so the more they read, then the faster they're going to get at it. Right. So you want our, your children to enjoy reading and Pushing it on them before they're ready doesn't help. But I'm also not a big fan of printing out a list of books you have to read this month or this year. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to get through this. You know, as for some people, that's what works for them. But in uh, schools, sometimes they wreck reading by you know you have to write a book report or take mm, an adva- you know accelerated exactly. reader exam after every book. You know what? I never have my children write book reports. I might ask them some questions about a book they've read, but um, in our home school, you know, there is a huge element of trust there because we do the self-learning. I um, and, and they're very careful about recording what they do, so I know what they've done. But I will, you know, orally. I guess it is testing them. I will orally quiz them. Um, 
you know, well, what are you reading right now, uh, blah, 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 and, um, well, what do you like about it, or how do you feel about this book, and, you know, we'll just have little talks like that from time to time, um, but not all the time. And I would also like to say that testing in high school, other than keeping math scores, I'm not a big one on testing um, in the daily course of their work. If you think about what you are passionate about, uh, um, for me it's gardening, and um, I love to garden. And when I get a book out on the library on gardening, if my husband were to say, okay, Joanne, when you finish that book, I'm going to give you a test on it. Oh, my gosh, I'm not even going to pick it up. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with children or with a textbook. You know, I give my older kids um, whatever, you know, book that they need to be doing or working through uh, for whatever part of the year we're on, and I expect them to read it. And their retention is much greater when the pressure is off. They're not reading for to be answering questions. They're reading for enjoyment. And they enjoy history. They enjoy science because they're, I don't stop them, you know, in the middle of everything and say, okay, show me your comprehension checkup on, you know, midway through one chapter. I think that's a terrible way to teach is to chop it up into little pieces like that. Just give them a book and let them go, And but you have to be able to trust them. Uh, and that's very, very important to remember. It won't work if you have kids who, you know, just slide the book under the bed and uh, don't pick it up for a whole semester. You know, that's not going to work. You know, you have to – well, I don't right now. I don't have to check up on my children, my older ones. My younger ones, I keep a lot closer tabs on. So, so about writing, I'm just uh-huh. I'm looking at the clock here. So I'm, oh, I'm going to move you. Gosh, you're doing great. So, I hate really the clock. <laughs> I know. I have one of those atomic clocks, and I want to make sure we get as much covered as possible in the last 20 minutes. About writing, um, what do you consider uh, the child to be a good writer? I'm worried about my son, for example, mm-hmm. is that um, he has a terrible penmanship and terrible mm-hmm. spelling, but he's a good writer. Mm-hmm. Does he like to read? Loves to read, and he loves to write, and he's writing a book, and he writes stories all the time. Awesome. That's but, wonderful. Uh, but these exams that they're taking, they have to write by hand. So, I mean, I mean mm-hmm. so let's talk just a little briefly about okay. writing to make sure how do we know our children are going to be prepared for the writing section of these tests. Well, and, and that's an excellent question. That was one thing I was wondering about with Nicholas. When he took the um, the SAT this October, he had not taken the writing section before. And I, um, we we do language, and um, in our language book there are writing exercises, but that's only up through sixth grade. After sixth grade, seventh grade through high school, um, I have them do some vocabulary every day, and three times a week they have to write an essay, including however many words they want to. And it's creative writing. I don't grade it. I will look at it. They cannot be silly. It can be creative imaginative, but not silly. So they're practicing writing. Uh, I don't, like I said, I don't grade it. If there's some misspelling, some really gross glaring misspelling, then, um, you know, I'll touch on that and say, oh, my, come on. You can't tell me you don't know how to spell that word. Go look it up, you know, that sort of thing. But generally, you know, they they just write for pleasure. Now, Nick, being the, having the logical mind that he has, I ask him to write an essay using at least five vocab words. Well, that's what he's going to do. He's going to write. He's going to find five words. He's going to. He will incorporate five words, but his essay will be five sentences long, just because you know, with the logic, not necessarily comes the writing skills. But I'm amazed. 
um, at how well he has written uh, his um, essays for for college and that sort of thing, and it, it just it it develops through reading. It develop. It doesn't. You don't have to. And this is the most asked question I ever get in my seminars: is what about writing? And what you said about your son, about he loves to write, encourage that writing. We don't necessarily have to have a writing curriculum for high schoolers. Now, they have to understand, up through grade six, grammar. They have to have a mastery of grammar. Now, they're reading, and they're reading every day, and um, whether it be that we're reading history or science or what have you, or reading for, for recreation, and they're picking up spelling, they're picking up how sentences should sound, you know, in their heads at least, especially with the auditory uh, uh, learners, and listen to audio books. So, um, you know, I don't teach writing to my children. Now, we do belong to a co-op, and they did take, uh, my oldest two took a class on how to write a term paper. You know, it took them a whole year, and they wrote one term paper. And I love my co-op. That It's an awesome place. But, you know, that's the thing with the tutorials, you know, where you would, the rise of the tutorials, that's what it's called here in the South. I don't know out West what, you know, other parts of the country, where you Teachers are paid to come in and homeschool parents enroll their kids. It's it's not quite the co-op where the parents are involved. It's more uh, where you're paying a teacher you don't even know. It is, it's just like a mini public or private school. So, you know, to me, I'm thinking, why, why would you do that? And with this co-op, with our co-op, it's wonderful, though, because they have opportunity to take biology with a lab, chemistry with a lab. We have wonderful moms who have uh, degrees in engineering. We live near an Air Force base. That helps, too. But anyway, so writing comes naturally. I think they do need to learn how to write a term paper. You know, that's something that it's, they didn't have, that all my kids will know how to do um, before they leave. But writing one term paper is enough. They don't have to do one in ninth grade, 10th, 11th, 12th. Um, so, and you'll find that the best writers are avid readers. Um, but it... You know, which could we, be why my son is a bad speller. He has a, a vision impairment, so mm-hmm. um, we have to protect his eyes, which is why he listens to so many audio books. And you right, so he doesn't up a lot of spelling by seeing it spelled correctly over and over right. again. Right, and you know, in college, that's not going to be a big deal. In life, it isn't either. Of course, you have editors, and you can use Word Perfect, and it helps with the spelling. Absolutely, but for these tests, it matters. Well, yes and no. Yes, I mean, it, they look, when they're grading, and I just uh, read over this, and this is another pet peeve of mine with the whole writing thing. It is so subjective. But anyway, that aside, they're looking at the whole picture. Um, they're looking at the quality of what the student is saying. And if there are some spelling errors in there, sure, that might mark it down a little bit. But if what they're saying is intelligent, coherent, um, a few spelling errors is not going to hurt them because there are so many students out there who can't even write, it's sad, who cannot write intelligent, coherent thoughts of their own, um, you know, let alone do it under pressure where you have 30 minutes and this is going to affect your um, the outcome of your score. <laughs> oh, the rest of it, no. Not I don't know pressure. Life. Yeah. Well, but Glenn, it is important. Can you give us a, a timeline? Because mm-hmm. I think that will answer a lot of my questions, yeah. too. If you can, kind of looking through the high school years, give us a timeline, if you would, of when they should be taking what. As far as, as classes or? Uh, I'm thinking as far as these tests. Okay, tests. 
Well, really, um, until... Okay, well, this is my own philosophy. Uh, and it's also um, based in fact. Both the SAT folks and the ACT folks say you can take the test as often as you want. However, there's a, this is a big however. When you go to take the ACT and SAT, you can have your scores sent to up to, I think, five different schools of your choice. Well, when I had Taylor and, um, and Lauren, when they took the SAT young, as in eighth, ninth grade, I didn't put any score reports. I didn't want any sent anywhere but to me. And so the only people who know that Taylor took it in eighth grade is the SAT folks and um, our family. Even our umbrella school doesn't know. Now, um, you know, with Nick, when he took it under the radar that way, as a freshman, uh, I didn't put that uh, we wanted to report the scores anywhere because, of course, we didn't know where he was interested in going. So we got the results uh, of the test, and we were the only ones who knew. But then we had the scores sent to our umbrella school so they could record them. So that's very important to know that when you take the test, you have the option for free. Uh, the ACT folks, college board folks, will send the scores to the, the top five schools of your choice. It could be a good thing, and it could be uh, I don't recommend it thing. I think that, you know, ninth grade, after ninth grade, following um, Algebra 1, let's say that, following Algebra 1, it's time to go ahead and take one of the tests. And I recommend taking the SAT first because it is not quite as rigorous as the ACT. So say at the end of ninth grade, your student has mastered Algebra 1, Go ahead and sign up. And, and the timeline, um, well, okay, this is my, let's get back to my own theory. Okay, so go ahead and take the test um, at, after, you know, the summer following ninth grade, what have you. Uh, now, there is some cost involved. It's, you know, 40-some dollars per test, somewhere in there. Uh, and then, if it, you know, that gives you a good starting point. And let's say they did extremely well. Trust me, <laughs> even though we didn't put down any any sco uh, schools for Nicholas, after he pulled that 35, we heard from everybody, Harvard, Stanford, MIT, all Ivy League schools, everybody. Really? And, of course, they didn't realize that he was, at this point, a 10th grader. So we've been getting uh, things from them for years now. Um, but uh, just because the college boards sells lists of high scores. Okay, um, but getting back to the timeline, I would start after Algebra 1 has been mastered, and sometimes that's the end of 8th grade if you have an advanced student, um, or after ninth grade or even 10th grade. But if you want to go by the book, um, what the SAT and ACT folks recommend is that you take it, the, the, the student takes it in the spring of their junior year, and that is the SAT and the ACT. Uh, Dr. And Beasley recommended that my son take his first SAT this year, his sophomore year. And he said, he said, you know, you don't necessarily have to prep, uh, prep for it, just kind of do it to get the experience and get a baseline, and then to take it two more times in the junior year. Would you agree with that? I think that's a great, I think that's a great plan. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going by what the study guides say. I just want to go by what your experience is. Yeah. I, I think well, my experience good. would be take it, you know, take it when you know, when you as a parent know that they're going to do well. 
And you know that if they have a good mastery of language and they've succeeded in Algebra 1. And you By all as means, many times as you want, no penalty. No. Uh, and if you want, now there is, a, there will be a little bit of fee if you don't report the score to a university um, and down the road you want them to have it, then you would just call SAT and say, hey, please send my official score to LSU or Harvard or whatever school. Um, and there's a little bit of a fee for that. So um, the one thing I can't stress enough, though, if you're going to have your child a student, young adult at this point, um, if you want to have them take the PSAT, it's, like I said, a junior year test, but you can take it in your sophomore year, and actually they recommend it. Uh, they being the college board recommend take it in your sophomore year. Results you'll get from them will be uh, results that will put you up against other sophomores. They'll recognize that, hey, this is a sophomore, and they'll give, and that'll, that gives you a good idea. I can't course, stress the enough. PSA, the PSAT is only given in, in October. Right. The advanced placement exams are only in May. And then, the, right. uh, in your state, do you have to take the uh, high school exit exam, or is that just a California thing? That uh, is probably state by state. Uh, we okay. do not have to do that in Tennessee. Okay. In California, yeah. that's in February for us. Oh, well. Yeah. Ooh, before you can't exit it. Because it's, it's, it's February of the junior year, interestingly. Well, oh. Huh. Okay. Well, so and what? I'm sorry. Oh, so I, I just wanted. To, I, we only have seven more minutes. Yeah. I feel under. I feel under the gun time-wise today, Joanne. This is so good. We'll have to do this again. Okay. So, so PSAT is either uh, October of the sophomore year or October mm-hmm. of the junior year. Right. The first SAT after they have mastered uh, algebra. But let's say, like you know, one in the sophomore year, two in the junior year. When do uh, they take the ACT? Same thing as early. Uh, as you feel that um, they've at least got uh, Algebra 1 under their belt. Now, Lauren, she has not taken the ACT yet, and she's going to be taking it, let's say, March 9th is the deadline to apply. I've got that in my brain. Uh, so the test must be in April. She's going to take in April of her junior year just because she wanted to have as much math in her mind as possible. And, uh, but that was her choice. I would have had her take it last year. She had wanted to, but there's, you know, she can take it again next year if she doesn't get the score that she wants. Um, now the SAT is several times a year, right? Um, they're they're given about five times a year, um, okay. each of them. So what I recommend is if you need to get online, all parents need to notate this because if you leave it to your student, some students, speaking from experience, will go, oh, yeah, that's right. That deadline was October something or other. So anyway, you uh, to get information on the SAT and the PSAT, you want to go to www.collegeboard.com. And that will give you information on those two tests, when they're offered, and just a whole lot of good stuff to know about the test. And then uh, you would go to www.act.org, O-R-G, to get all the information on how to register. You can register online. Um, you can find out where the test is being given in your area. It will be given oh. at a local high school. Okay. And um, it will tell you you can register online and just show up on test day. It's very easy to register to take the test, but you have to know the deadlines for application. You can register late, but there's a late fee, and you run the risk of the, it being full at your 
most convenient location, then you have to drive two hours, and I never recommend that. Now, for the PSAT, do they go in in the uh, summer beforehand and go to collegeboard.com and sign up for the PSAT as well? Actually, the PSAT is different. Thank you for asking that question. You need to inquire with your local high school when they will be um, offering it. Okay. That's the only test where you would call the guidance office of your local high school. You register directly with the high school, and um, they will give you the ticket uh, through them. That is not an online thing with the PSAT. And the AP exam, it was the same. We had to go through our local high school really early. In February is when he has to apply to take the AP exam in May. Mm -hmm. And then the CLEP is uh, CLEP.org. Okay, great. And then, so they say they've taken... uh, say they've taken the SAT about three times. They've taken the ACT a couple of times so they get the score that they want. Uh, they've taken the PSAT in October and to get the high scores. And then I guess then the summer before their senior year is when they start applying for the colleges, and those applications are all due right after Labor Day in September. Is that right? Most colleges... Um the deadline for application for merit scholarships is going to be somewhere around December, like December 9th, I believe it was this year, somewhere December 1st, somewhere December 9th. But I advise um, in the junior year to start taking your, ch- your young adults to colleges that they're interested in. Um, you really can't start, well, you could start too early. They don't really want freshmen. <laughs> and then, I mean, they'll welcome, colleges will welcome, you know, any of your students to come and take a look because they know down the road there's a payoff there. But, um, and this is one of the guinea pig things we found out with our first child, uh, with Nick. Um, we did start um, the end of his junior year. He made a list of schools he'd like to visit, and we started visiting them. But this fall, we were still visiting, and uh, we only visited four different campuses. So, uh, and then we got the deadlines down. And when you're applying for college, that's where the stress comes in. The tests are nothing compared to when you're actually applying for colleges. Um, I wanted Nick to narrow it down. I didn't want him to apply to, you know, first of all, it costs money to apply. But second of all, if you're really not interested in attending there, there's no point in going through all that process. All the paperwork. Yeah. Now, these test preps, these SAT and ACT Mm -hmm. test prep courses, do you Mm -hmm. recommend them? No, I don't. Um, because they're, you're a passive winner. You're sitting in a classroom being taught at. I recommend going to your local bookstore, whether it's Books a Million or what have you, and buying the official study guide. Like right now I'm looking at the official SAT study guide okay. for the new SAT. Um, Kaplan, that's K-A-P-L-A-N, they put out um, an ACT book, and they're new every year. They, nowadays, it's awesome. They also include CDs that have um, extra tests, and they have practice tests in there, and then um, and where you literally time your, you know, your kids can time themselves and see oh, how they would have done if it were an actual test. And, and that's, that's awesome. That's a right great there. feature. Yeah, that's. I think that would be handy. So we have one minute left, Joanne. Ah, can you believe it? No. <laughs> I know. Just, I mean, this is a big topic area. I'm going to um, open it up for one minute so we can just take maybe a quick question or comment. Uh, listeners, a lot of people on the line, please, callers. So press star six to mute out your personal phone, and that will keep the noise down. And then if you have a quick, quick, quick question for Joanne, I'm sorry, I wish we had more time. I think we're going to have to um, have a high school teleconference in the spring because there's just so much need and interest in this subject. So callers, if you want to ask a question, you would press star six to unmute your phone as well. And here we go. 
I have a question about the PSA sheet. Yes, just really quickly. Okay, I wanted to know, um, is that the one that you should take? I heard something about becoming a National Merit Scholar if you take it early on. There was something about the importance of that. Are you aware of, or can give him more information on it? Yes, Glenn. Okay. She's, she's wondering about the importance of the PSAT, and we did talk about that earlier, but if you could just kind of reinforce that. Because Absolutely. Because how, how it can hopefully get you a scholarship. Right. If you take the PSAT, um, that does uh, enroll you in the National Merit Scholarship Competition, uh, and that is the only test that will do that for you, and that is as a junior, um, and it's that test that's offered only in October, so you don't want to miss that one. And that's generally October of the junior year. Right, October of the junior year, and you can take it in your sophomore year for practice. Okay. Thank you. Joanne? Yes. Hello. Hi. Joanne? Yeah. Hi. I was wondering, um, how did television play a role in your in your schooling as far as getting them a love for reading and television being a distraction? Do you want to repeat the question for me? No, that was nice and clean. Go ahead. Okay. Um, television, we use sparingly. We have a TV. It gets bigger all the time because my eyes get worse. But um, anyway, just to answer that briefly, we have days, school days are no screen time. Until maybe in the evening we might, you know, watch something together uh, where it is a family building type thing. But generally, you know, it's a no screen time type of thing. I want them to turn to books, you know, if for nothing else because there's nothing else to do <laughs> or play some games uh, with their brothers and sisters. But we use TV sparingly, and when we do, it's usually videos, uh, something like that. It's a good question. Okay. Thank you. You're You're welcome. Uh, I know people have more questions for you. Can you give out your web address? And I know you have some really good products that are helpful for people, too. Can you tell us about those really quickly? Uh, Very quickly. um, You can uh, get to my website. It is um, www.homeschoolstudentplanner.com. I love your planner. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And we offer high school planners that have all this information in it. So that's a big part of the high school student planner is all this information at the beginning. Okay. Um, Also, um, self-learning and self-teaching is probably one of the hottest topics in home education right now. It's just overwhelming. But if you're interested in that, um, you can just reach me. You can email me at joanne at homeschoolstudentplanner.com, and I'll be happy to uh, direct you to um, or answer any questions that you might have, and that's J-O-A-N-N-E at, course, home school student planner singular, P-L-A-N-N-E-R.com. Um, and I also have a self learning a self-teaching uh, Yahoo group that I'll mention very quickly because it's very helpful. I don't have to be there. There are a lot of um, moms on there who are knowledgeable if you have questions. And it's Raising, R-A-I-S-I-N-G, capital S, capital L, that stands for self-learners, the number four, and then the word life, L-I-F-E. There again, Raising, S-L, for life, at Yahoo Groups. Dot com, And if you're not familiar to Yahoo Groups, just go to yahoogroups.com and you can enter that information and it should take you right there to the, to the site. And, of course, your kit is on homeschool.com, too, $29. 
for uh, Homes.com self-learning uh, e-kit, and it has an hour-long interview with Joanne talking about the self-learning method and also a really great, like, gosh, 36-page PDF uh, book in there as well. I'm afraid we're out of time, everyone. Thank you so much for being with us. Please stay on the line. Coming up next is uh, Pat Wyman. America's most trusted learning expert on how to win the school game. And she's talking about, you know, for uh, applying that for homeschoolers as well. So don't be scared off by the title. And she has some great, uh, you know, freebies to offer. And she's always one of our most popular speakers. Joanne, thank you very, very, very much for your time today. 